What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. Welcome into Deep Dive Fantasy Football, guys. Today, I feel like we're setting up for a banger because we got a lot of questions from listeners coming in. I feel like I sent out a tweet on Twitter and within, obviously on Twitter, and within like five minutes, I had like 15 questions already. So I'm excited because when I see, you know, participation like that, it gets me hyped up. So I'm excited to answer a lot of questions today. I'm going to, you know, try and get the, the good balance between going to them quickly, but also giving you guys valuable information. So I'm going to do my best there. We're going to go back and forth between questions and my favorite wide receivers in every round. And at the, you know, top of the rounds, like rounds one through six, I'm also going to give you my worst or like least favorite wide receiver to draft in that round. It doesn't mean I necessarily don't like them. It just means that they are not on any of my teams because they're the person I like the least in that round compared to the others. So I know I said I was going to do like wide receivers 25 to 36 and then sleepers. I decided against that. I feel like this would be more um, interactive, entertaining, just better overall. Before we get into that, before we start, I just want to promote a few things first. Um, Got to talk about my draft sheets here. If you guys are, you know, ever... If you guys have ever wanted, basically, to get a draft sheet, a cheat sheet for your drafts, but you never want to pay the $10 or $25 or $30 that all these sites make you pay in order to use their draft sheets, I'm the guy you're looking for because mine are free. They're on the website. It's one of the main tabs that you'll see on the menu. It says free draft sheets. You can go ahead and go follow that. And here's the kicker, too. So... I'm kind of a math guy. I like to use Excel and stuff, so I'm pretty handy with it. I already have my equations and everything put into that to do the math for me to do. Just it makes everything easier, faster. So if you've ever been wanting to run your own projections, whether you're talking, you know, putting in hours of research to come up with your projections or just, you know, off the top of your head, you're like, you know, I kind of feel like this guy's going to do this and you just want to plug that in and see where it would put him in a ranking. You could do that on my draft sheet too, because once you download it, it's yours to edit, manipulate however you want. So I feel like that's a good thing that I have that you know you don't find in pretty much anywhere for free, especially. So that's one thing that I wanted to promote. And also I added two people to the deep dive team. So I'm still a one-man show on the podcast, but I did have two people start writing for me. They're awesome. I'm going to give you guys their handles. One of them, his name is Zach. His handle on Twitter is it's Zach FF, and the Z in Zach and the two Fs are capital. And then the other guy, Drew, his is the first two letters are capital, D B, or it's D battery. So D and B are capital. It's D battery FF. The Fs are also capital. So we got it's Zach FF and D battery FF. Those are my two writers, Drew and Zach. They write articles for me along with myself also writing articles. Drew just put out a great article on Waller and why, you know, after that ultimate tier of tight ends of Kelsey and Kittle and Ertz and Andrews, it's all question marks after that point or after that. So 
He's basically telling you why Waller is not as much of a risk as you think and why his reward is a lot higher than you think. Because a lot of people are worried about the weapons. He gives you some some good information that might make you uh, rethink the thought process that all the new weapons are going to give him trouble. Because there's a good chance it actually only helps him. And then my boy Zach put out an article on Cam Akers. I love Cam Akers. I also love Darren Waller. He was my first tight end after that elite tier and Higby, because you guys know I love Higby. Waller was my highest after that. So we share similar thoughts on the tight end position there. And then obviously, like I said, I love Akers. You guys have heard me talk about Akers and Zach wrote a great article about Cam Akers. And one of the biggest worries, how bad the offensive line is there, it's actually not as bad as you think. And he talks about that in the article as well. So check those out. We got the Darren Waller and the Cam Akers articles up by them. It was both of them their first article and they did a great job so i encourage you to check them check them out and also follow them on twitter and then last thing before we get into the wide receivers i gotta talk about the fact that i just did my adjustments i told you guys i'd probably wait a week until from opt-outs and stuff before i started adjusting in case teams added players which worked out because you know some teams did add players and Terry McLaurin, because I just adjusted the Redskins earlier this morning, Terry McLaurin has moved up to my wide receiver 17. Um, he's still in the same tier, but basically, or no, sorry, he jumped tiers. He's the end of the next tier because he does have potential being one of the only targets there to, you know, just get a mad, mad target share. So he's at wide receiver 17 now. Initially, he was at like 26. He was going to be one of the first guys I talked about outside of the 24 if I went that route. But he ended up moving up and bumped um, everybody a spot, one spot back. So with that said, we are going to go ahead and get started. I am talking about my favorite and least favorite or worst wide receivers by round. And I will also be intermittently answering questions that you guys left me on Twitter and Instagram. So starting off in round one, Obviously, my favorite wide receiver to draft in round one is Michael Thomas. Preferably, he's the only wide receiver I would even draft in the first round because, you know, I go RB heavy. There's so many good late round values at wide receiver, which we're going to talk a lot about today. We're going to touch on all the great values. And it just it makes no sense to me to take uh, Tyreek Hill, especially he's the, the guy I least like in the first round among receivers. It's basically just him, Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams. I understand Devontae Adams at the turn if you're going to take him in the first, but I preferably just go running backs. But Tyreek Hill is definitely my least favorite. He is my wide receiver seven right behind DJ Moore and Chris Godwin that clocked in at five and six for me. So to be taking him as the third wide receiver off the board and in the first round, that's not a good price to pay, especially because he's not a receiver that's going to be consistent. And he's not going to be a receiver that hits 150 targets, which is part of the reason he's not consistent. And so he's the guy that I don't really care for drafting in the first round at all. Then in round two, I really like Julio Jones. See, there's Julio Jones, there's DeAndre Hopkins, Chris Godwin. I love Chris Godwin, and he is at the back of the second. But Julio Jones is an elite guy. He's in that second tier after Michael Thomas with Hopkins and Adams for me. Julio Jones also holds immense potential because this is the second year for Matt Ryan with Dirk Cutter and in that offensive system Matt Ryan's probably going to explode and I have him exploding in terms of yardage and pass attempts and efficiency and stuff everything except for touchdown rate if his touchdown rate goes up and even if he passes a little bit more than I have him at 
Julio Jones could easily get close to that 1,800 receiving yard season that he had not too long ago when him and AB were both in the 1,800s. That was a, a crazy season. We might see something like that from Julio, especially because he feels Ridley at his heels. You know, he's trying to prove he's still the elite guy there. So Julio Jones is my favorite receiver in the second round. And then my least favorite is DeAndre Hopkins. Look, you guys know I like him. He's my wide receiver for... It was either him or Godwin that I had to choose, but they're both high. Hopkins is just getting drafted higher in the second round than Godwin is. And, you know, he does have the question marks with being on a new team with Kyler. So I think he's a good value there, but I had to pick somebody that I like the least in the second round. So I went with DeAndre Hopkins. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and get to the first question from Twitter. Nate asks, who's breaking into the top five wide receivers in scoring this season? And why is it Devontae Parker? So (laughs) it made me laugh for sure. I love when people ask a question and then answer their own question. I always think it's funny. Um, So first off, like not trying to come at you, Nate, but I don't think Devontae Parker is going to break into the top five wide receivers because, you know, he wasn't even the wide receiver one when Preston Williams was on the field. Granted, it was with Josh Rosen and not Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Fitzpatrick showed to love Parker. And I know the Dolphins have some opt-outs at wide receiver with Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson. So Devontae Parker is definitely set up for success. I just can't see him in top five because I don't think that offense is going to have enough scoring opportunities for him. I don't think that he's going to be as dominant as he was last year because Preston Williams is back. And the main reason that we love Devontae Parker is why Ryan Fitzpatrick. Well, Against what I think the Dolphins should do, because if I was the Dolphins, I would say Tua all year. They said that Tua is going to be competing for that starting job. And even if he doesn't start, he might take it away from Fitzpatrick at some point, in which point, yeah, he's a great passing quarterback, but he's a rookie. So I don't want to rely on Parker being that good, you know, especially to break into the top five. So with that said, I do like Parker, though. Don't get me wrong. The guy that I think or I see breaking into the top five and what I assume you mean by that is obviously somebody who has not been there yet. And that guy for me is DJ Moore. I have talked about him a lot on past podcasts. I think he's going to play a similar role to what Michael Thomas did with Teddy Bridgewater last year, just albeit with, you know, less targets and whatnot, but he's still going to be efficient. Not obviously Michael Thomas efficiency, but he's an efficient receiver. He's going to do good. He's going to get a lot of targets. They're going to be a team that passes the ball a lot. They were in the top five for pass attempts last year. They're going to pass the ball a lot this year. And Robbie Anderson, if anything, I don't think it hurts more at all because Robbie Anderson, one, isn't a high target volume guy. Plus he opens up the secondary. He's going to make things easier on DJ Moore, if anything, which also will help boost his efficiency. So DJ Moore is somebody I really, really love this season. Last year, he only had four touchdowns. That's bound to come up, especially in the hundred, being in the 140 target range. He's probably got like a floor of six or at least five, but that's like the floor, his ceiling. He could, you know, have an eight, nine touchdown season. So I love DJ Moore a lot. I think he is going to be very close to breaking into the top five as I have him ranked at five, I believe, either five or six. Him or Godwin was him and Godwin are five and six for me. Then I'm gonna hit one more question right here. Edward Stange, I believe that's how you say your last name. If not, I apologize, Edward. You said I like Rager, Judy, and Jefferson being great additions for their teams. What rookie do you think will have the most impact on their team? I think Rager could be the wide receiver one for the Eagles. First off, I love Jalen Rager, and I agree with you. I do think he can be the wide receiver one for the Eagles. And in terms of targets, I actually have it projected that way. Not by much, 
well, not not including Zach Ertz, just talking receivers. I haven't projected that way, not by much, it's close. But we have a lot of questions to get to about rookie wide receivers, and I'm going to kind of answer your question in terms of, you know, who I think the best rookie wide receivers are going to be this year and whatnot. So I'm going to take your question in a different route, and I'm going to answer it literally how you asked it. And you said the most impact on their team. So like I said, I'm going to take this in my own direction just because you're, if you know, if you meant to ask me who I think is going to be the best, that's going to get answered later on. But I still wanted to answer your question. And I think this is a good spin. So with us considering the most impact, I would say there's two receivers that I like that are rookies to have the most impact on their team. And that's T Higgins and Henry Ruggs. And first, I'm going to give you guys a process of elimination on a few guys. CeeDee Lamb, he's not going to impact his offense like to a huge degree because it can't get that much better than it was last year in terms of the passing game and the passing efficiency. And because it can't get that much better than it was last year, his impact is not going to be, you know, one of the bigger felt impacts among the rookie wide receiver class. So that's why I said no for Lamb. Then Judy, He's going to help efficiency-wise for sure. Their passing game is going to be good. He's going to help Drew Locke a lot. He's going to help Cortland Sutton, yes. But they're a really run-heavy team with a good defense. They have three running backs. So while I do think Judy's going to make a good impact for them, I don't think he's going to have the best impact of the rookie wide receivers. And then what about Michael Pittman? Pittman's in a good spot to make a huge impact. He is. But I will say, aside from fantasy purposes, I wasn't really that high on the guy to begin with pre-draft process. Once he got drafted to the Colts, then I became high on him just because of the situation. But, you know, in just terms of skill and stuff, I didn't think he was that great. I think he'll help the team, but he's not going to impact them in a huge way. T. Higgins will. He is a top wide receiver from this class. He was my wide receiver four, I believe, who I compared to Brandon Marshall. And I think he can get there within two, three years. He can get to that level of talent. And I think he's going to impact them a lot this year because that team is going to be top five in pass attempts. So the receiving game is already super important. So if he can impact the receiving game, which I think he will, it's going to be a huge impact felt on that team. He's a huge threat on the outside. He's going to impact everybody there. He's going to impact Joe Burrow. He's going to make it easier for him. He's going to give him another red zone threat. He's going to impact Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd is way more efficient when there's a competent receiver on the outside. If you look at his games with and without A.J. Green, Joe Mixon is going to be very much helped by the addition of T. Higgins because now you have Boyd, Green, Higgins, Ross, Tate, all on the outside. But mainly Higgins and Green coming back are going to be the biggest factors in opening up that running game for Joe Mixon. And then he's going to impact A.J. Green. A.J. Green is the only one I think he impacts in a negative way because I don't think A.J. Green's elite anymore. I think he's probably still going to be a good receiver, but I don't think he's going to be to that elite level that we last saw basically two years ago. And Tegan's is going to take some snaps from him, in my opinion. And I think, you know, they're probably going to be like maybe 30 targets apart, which is pretty close, honestly, for a rookie. And then you're talking about A.J. Green. That's how I have it projected. So I think T. Higgins is going to make a huge impact. And then Ruggs. You have to talk about Ruggs. He was the first wide receiver drafted for a reason because of the impact he's going to have on that offense. That's what he was drafted for, for his impact, not for, you know, the stats he's going to accumulate. He's not going to be a stat stuffer. He's not one of those high possession guys, you know, So Ruggs, because of his utility and speed, he's going to open up everything. He's going to massively help Josh Jacobs in the run game. Even though Josh Jacobs was already super good, it's just going to make things easier for him. That offense is going to be better, have more touchdown opportunities. It's going to open things up for Darren Waller. 
that's something mentioned in the Darren Waller article. And, you know, he's just going to help everybody. He also is obviously going to help Carr. So this is the year for Carr. Like, it's make it or break it for him. So I think that the most impactful rookie wide receivers are going to be T. Higgins and Henry Ruggs. That does not mean that I think they're going to have the best stat lines, though. And we'll get to those guys later on. We're going to hop back over to the draft. We're talking round three now. My favorite wide receivers, according to ADP, and now I'm going to give you guys the specific numbers. This is from ADP Calculator. So my favorite wide receiver in the third round to draft is at the 311, the very back of the third round, Juju Smith-Schuster. He was my wide receiver two last year. Obviously, that didn't work out, but it wasn't really my fault because he got hurt and Big Ben got hurt, mainly Big Ben being hurt. Um, so we didn't really get to see, you know, what Juju was going to do in his first year with Big Ben without AB there. Well, luckily, last year, they tried him outside at times, and they realized that's not really his forte, so now they're moving him back to where he was great in the slot. So being in the slot now, having Big Ben back, I think that's going to help him a lot. The only reason I don't have him higher than, you know, like close to what I had him last year, because it's a similar situation, the only reason I don't have him that high is because I think the Steelers with a good defense now, which I did not see coming, that defense was amazing last year, but mainly, you know, not mainly, but the addition of Minka Fitzpatrick really helped them. So with that considered, I don't think that they're going to pass the ball enough. They're not going to be in that 650 plus range. I still have them in my top 10 for pass attempts. I believe I have them around 575, but I don't think they're going to be passing as much as they did in the past when they had AB and Juju. So that's the reason I have him lower, but I think he's going to be really good. He's going to go back to being pretty efficient, and he's a you know PPR monster. So he's going to be one of those most consistent guys from week to week, especially because you know he's in the slot. He doesn't face nearly as tough corners as you know the corners that are usually on the outside for defenses. So that's why I like Juju a lot. Then the guy that I hate the most in round three is Odell Beckham. We talked about him on the last podcast. He is in my top 24 wide receivers, so obviously I don't hate him that much. But out of you know the guys in this round, I like him the least. He is going in front of Juju. I think that is a mistake. Oda Beckham, he is going to be in a offense that barely passes the ball like 530 times, and they're going to run the ball like crazy. They have two elite running backs. They have a improving defense. And they have an offensive coordinator that just came from the Vikings that ran the ball 51% of the time. 51% of the time, the Browns ran the ball 43% of the time last year. So you could see an increase there, especially because he's coming from uh, injury-prone Dalvin Cook to two super sturdy running backs that are, you know, some would say just as good as Dalvin Cook. So that's why I'm low on Odell and Jarvis. Although I will say that Jarvis has been placed on the pup, so... I do have to do that adjustment. So Odo will probably go up a little bit, but knowing the the receivers in this third round, he's still probably going to be my least favorite. Then in round four, my favorite guy, I love him, my wide receiver five, DJ Moore. He's going at the beginning of the fourth, the 401. He is going to be a beast. I already talked about him breaking out. So, you know, when I was answering Nate's question, so I'm not going to get into him, but yeah, I love DJ Moore. Then my least favorite guy in the fourth round, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup scares me because he was averaging six targets per game down from 11 once Higby got involved. And yes, I know the eternal Higby debate, debate, it never ends. And, you know, it doesn't even matter because 
if Tyler Higby's not to the level that he was last year, they're still probably going to run that personnel, even if it's with Gerald Everett taking half of what Higby did last year. It's still going to be a similar type of you know target percentage distribution for the the positions. So, you know, the tight ends are probably still going to get used just as much, even if it's not all to Higby. So I think Cooper Cup's going to get hurt. And I mean, he was still relevant. Yeah, but that was off the back of a lot of touchdowns. Granted, he's shown that he's a great touchdown guy and he's consistent in that department. So he's probably one of the easier guys in the league to just be able to count on touchdowns for. But that still scares me because of what happens if Cooper Cup, for some reason, and we see crazy things like this happen that we don't see coming so it's possible what if for some reason he just loses that part of his game not saying that he loses the talent just he just doesn't get used that way this year what happens if he loses those touchdowns all of a sudden he is like 50 percent of robert woods because robert woods is going to be getting more targets than him more yardage than him receptions are going to be close but woods is going to have more most likely and the only thing holding woods back was touchdowns so you know, what if they end up being on the same playing field? So that's why Cooper Cup scares me. There's a lot of guys I have ranked ahead of him that I have after the fourth round. He's not somebody I would draft that high. Now I'm going to go back to a question. Kevin asks, what are your season projections for Preston Williams in a standard league? I think he's a sneaky good ad as a wide receiver, three or four. So first off, you did say in a standard league, but obviously that doesn't matter for my projections. Um, because that's just, you know, stat line that I have projected for him. But I did compare his ranking in standard to PPR to half PPR for me, and it's actually pretty much the same because I don't have him as a heavy reception guy or a, like, really low reception heavy yardage guy. So he's kind of, like, right right down the middle. So a few people go above him when you go to standard, and a few people above him drop below him. So he stays in that same area, and that area is the wide receiver 39 for me. So that's right in the range that you're talking about, wide receiver 3 or 4, because obviously the wide receiver 3s end in a 12-team league at wide receiver 36. So I think he's a high-end wide receiver 4. But I love taking him because I think he has upside to do much better than that. He also has a safe floor, especially with Hearns and Wilson, like we just talked about when we were talking about Devontae Parker, opting out. So with those guys opting out, it's basically him, Gasicki, Parker. Those are like the three mainstays in that offense from last year. So they're going to have an extra advantage, and they might see huge target shares this year. So I love Preston Williams. And he. the crazy thing is he's going in the 13th round. That's insane when Devontae Parker's going in like the fifth or sixth. So that's a great value, especially considering he was better than Parker when they were both on the field. So with that said, my projections for him are 123 targets, 67 receptions, 904 yards, and six touchdowns. Then Michael asks me, is there a strategic advantage pairing a robust running back strategy with high floor slot receivers and late round quarterbacks? My man, you speak after my own heart. That is literally exactly how I draft for the past three years. You go running back at the top. I'll tell you, last year I was in this league where I went running back the first five rounds. And I did not plan on saying this. So, you know, if I stutter once or twice, don't blame me. But because I'm going to try and remember that team that I drafted. Obviously, I draft so many teams, especially being a guy who has a podcast and whatnot. People always want me to play or start leagues or whatever. So this draft that I did, I went running back the first five rounds, and I'm pretty sure this was the order. I remember the running backs. I went in the first round, Ezekiel Elliott. Second round, James Conner. Third round, Leonard Fournette. Fourth round, 
Chris Carson, fifth round Robert Woods, and then sixth round Austin Eckler. So you hear you heard those running backs, and I landed Dak and Lamar in the end of the draft and Darren Waller. So I had the best team, I had the most points fielded and stuff. That is the way to go. And you did make a note, a specific note on slot receivers, and that was something that I posted. I don't know if you saw that. Um, yeah, slot receivers in especially high floor slot receivers in high volume passing offenses. That's Tyler Boyd. Um, Chris Godwin can be viewed as such because he is really good in the slot. He goes in the slot often, although he's not just a slot receiver. You could say the same thing about, um, hmm, what's another good one? Calvin Ridley goes in the slot every once in a while. Like when they're in two wide receiver sets and they put one in the slot, that's usually Calvin Ridley. So Calvin Ridley's also in a high passing volume offense. He's one of those guys that could be considered. Yeah, that's the way to go, man. You go RB heavy because... The running back position is the single most important position, and it's not even close. I was reading an article recently, I believe it was on Fantasy Pros, about how, you know, the percentage of running backs drafted inside the top, like, seven rounds that did well for you, outperformed their ADP, was significantly higher than the percentage of wide receivers drafted in the top seven rounds that performed for you. And not only that, but the percentage of running backs drafted after the seventh round that did anything for your fantasy teams was way lower than that of the wide receivers drafted after the seventh round. What does that mean? That means you need to get your running backs inside the top seven rounds. And you need to get your wide receivers late because that's how you find the good ones that are going to help your team with value. So yeah, obviously you take a wide receiver or two inside the top like seven rounds, but don't focus heavy on wide receivers. It's going to come back to bite you. So yes, that is the strategy, my man. Same with late round quarterbacks. There's always quarterbacks that go after round 10 that end up in like the top five every year. Last year it was Lamar and Dak and no, Russell Wilson wasn't outside the top 10. So last year it was Lamar and Dak. And you know, that's the way to go. Then I'll hit one more question because like I said, I have a lot of questions. So we're just going to hop back and forth. And I love this question. I really, really love this question. I was starting to get full on questions and I saw this and I was like, I have to include this in the podcast. Fantasy football chick, shout out to all the girls in the industry. You asked, does Emmanuel Sanders help or hurt Michael Thomas's value in 2020? So initially, I already knew what my answer was to this because I do my own projections for every player and every team. But I wanted to, you know, give this amazing question a thorough you know, five, 10, extra 15 minutes of research just to see if I can find something interesting to, you know, also throw in. So first off, I have it projected in a way that suggests Emmanuel Sanders added to that team is not going to hurt Michael Thomas's value. Because here's the thing. Do I have Michael Thomas at his 180 something targets last year? No, of course not. I don't. He had 185 targets last year. I don't project that. I have him about 164, I think. One, yeah, either 164 or like 163. I would have projected the target decrease with or without Emmanuel Sanders. So it's not because of Emmanuel Sanders that I project the target decrease. And I think that Sanders having a you know competent wide receiver next to you is going to help you, if anything. So here's what I decided to do. I said, let me see if I can find a identical situation to what just happened in New Orleans. Because Michael Thomas was the only relevant wide receiver. He was the guy. He was the dude, the go-to on every down. And, you know, he basically had no help at the wide receiver position around him. And all of a sudden, insert a guy that can run outside and in the slot both effectively, has sure hands, and is a good route runner. I needed to find that exact pattern. That's what I set out to do. So, like I said, I was thinking of, let me find a great wide receiver who was the only guy. 
and then a sure-handed route runner comes along and see how he fared. Guess what? I found the perfect example on my own team in the same division, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. In Chris Godwin's second year, so when he started his breakout, so last year was obviously his breakout, and there was some hype on him. He was like a third or fourth round pick. There was a lot of hype, and he returned massively on that hype, and he broke out last year. But that hype started because in his second year, he had about 90-ish targets. He was really good. So I looked at Mike Evans. The year before that, before Godwin was anything, when he was like a you know, 40-target rookie and didn't really do much at all, I looked at that year with Mike Evans, and then the year once Godwin ended up being what you know what caught all that hype. So I find that very similar to the pattern that we see or the situation we see now in New Orleans. So here's what happened: from the year without Godwin to the year in in Godwin's like second year when he had about 90-ish targets, which is what I project around for Emmanuel Sanders. Mike Evans' catch rate went up 10 percent. 10%. That's huge. Like usually when you look year to year on pro football reference, like when I'm doing my research, I just notice usually year to year, it doesn't de- like the standard deviation is usually around like five to 6%. A 10% drop in one year, or in this case, an increase is huge. Not only did his catch rate go up, usually, usually when a wide receiver's catch rate goes up, it's because their yards per reception are going down. They're getting easier passes closer to the line of scrimmage. That's not what happened at all. Evans' catch rate went up by 10%, and his yards per reception went up by 3.5 yards per reception. 3.5. That's insane. It went from the 13s to the 17s. That's like a 20% increase on top of the 10% catch rate increase. So what have we seen so far? That really helped him. Godwin coming, a second receiver that can do anything, really, really helped Mike Evans be way more efficient and better for fantasy. What about his targets? Because that's kind of what was driving Michael Thomas, 185 targets. Evans' targets were almost the exact same. He lost less than 5% of his own targets. They were almost identical. Match that with the huge efficiency increases. It was night and day. Evans also went up three touchdowns. He went from five to eight. His fantasy performance was night and day. Way, way better the year that Godwin broke out. And I think that that's what we see with Michael Thomas. So what's my takeaway? The takeaway is that Emmanuel Sanders, he's going to help Michael Thomas maintain his insane efficiency. I would say if it wasn't Michael Thomas, that the addition of a guy like Sanders would help them be more efficient. But I don't know if that's possible because Michael Thomas is a monster. Um, But I do think he can help raise his touchdown ceiling. We haven't seen Michael Thomas hit double tip double-digit touchdowns yet, I think that might happen this year, and I have him projected at 10. So having that extra threat verdict is going to help Michael Thomas out, and you can expect him to be very dominant in the clear wide receiver one. So with those two questions out the way, and I know I spent a lot of time on that question, but it was a great question. So thank you for that. Props to you. We're going to go ahead and get to the round five wide receiver that is my favorite, And I actually couldn't decide. I have them tied because I have them basically ranked on top of each other and they are drafted on top of each other. So basically the exact same value. Tyler Lockett at the 507 and Terry McLaurin at the 508. Lockett's my wide receiver 15. McLaurin is my 17. I love both of those guys. I think the Seahawks are going to pass a little bit more this year than they did last year. Whether that be because they have two great wide receivers and Pete Carroll finally decides to let Russell Wilson let it rip a little bit 
or because they lost a lot of pieces on defense, and I don't think just adding Jamal Adams is going to make up for it. Um, either way, they're going to pass more. I think that they're going to have to pass more. And then my you know, least favorite wide receiver is Cortland Sutton at 5'12". So I actually thought he was getting drafted a lot higher. I thought he was more of a fourth-round receiver. So I was happy to see that he was at the very back of the fifth. But compared to other receivers here, he's my lowest-ranked one. So I had to go with Cortland Sutton. The thing is that I don't think that offense is going to pass a ton. I think Jerry Judy is going to help him be more efficient. He was more efficient when Emmanuel Sanders was there on the field with Cortland Sutton. But overall, I don't think that he's going to get the volume he needs. I still think he's going to be in that like 110 to 120 target range because it's going to be hard to see more targets this year. Then last year, when their defense got better, they added another running back who's pretty good in Melvin Gordon. And um, then they add Jerry Judy and KJ Handler and Albert Ogwebunam. I believe I said that correctly. Um, but Albert O, the tight end that um, Drew Locke used to play with. And it's going to be tough for him. So that's my verdict on Cortland Sutton. Then in round six, my favorite wide receiver to draft by far, Stephon Diggs, 602. He is basically going to be the number one for Josh Allen, but we saw John Brown was really good for Josh Allen as the number one last year. Now, I know John Brown is there, so you're adding a receiver to the mix without removing one, so sometimes that makes people nervous. That's kind of like Hopkins getting added to Kirk and Fitzgerald without one of them you know, going away, so people are worried about Hopkins' target share. I'm not worried about Diggs' target share. I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to get a lot of targets. Obviously, they traded a first-rounder for him, so they're going to use him, and... At the 602, you're getting a guy with a huge week-to-week ceiling. Yes, you might initially be like, oh, his floor is probably going to be pretty low. But John Brown was one of the more consistent wide receivers, despite being pretty much labeled as a deep threat wide receiver by most um, in fantasy last year. So, And Stephon Diggs is a better receiver than John Brown. So I think that he might surprise us. He might be really good, actually. And then in terms of guys that I didn't like in this round, this is where I stop in terms of guys that I don't like because... There's nobody that I didn't like in round six. Everyone from here is a fair value, pretty much at the wide receiver position. Like, it's hard to say that there's a bust getting taken in like the seventh round or later. And I know this is a sixth round, but I didn't see anybody in the sixth round that I thought was not going to be good and not return on value. So after this point, I'm only going to talk about guys that I really like. And that first guy, you guys know it's coming. We're round seven. Look, he usually goes between six and eight. And if I didn't say his name in six and we're in seven, you know his name's about to get said. Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd, my freaking boy. I am all in on the Boyd train. I feel like I am the creator of the Tyler train. Both Higby and Boyd, but mainly Boyd because I have not seen one person have him ranked higher than I do. And even if you don't agree with my ranking, even if you think I'm nuts... It doesn't matter. There's no way. There's no way that he is not better than ADP of wide receiver 30-something when he's never finished anywhere after 20. So Tyler Boyd is easily my favorite guy in round 7. Then round 8, my favorite guy, Deontay Johnson. He's going at the 803. Oh, and Tyler Boyd, I don't know if I said it, 712. So basically at the 7-8 turn right now. Deontay Johnson at the 803. He is my wide receiver, like 31 right now. So I really actually like him. He ranked higher than I thought he was going to for me, especially because I had the Steelers not passing 650 times like the last three years. So he's a guy that has chance to break, uh, a really good chance actually to break out. 
some people are trying to sell high on him because, you know, there is a lot of hype around him right now, but it's not that much. Round eight is, I mean, that's not crazy hype at all. So Deontay Johnson could easily be better than that. I wouldn't be surprised if next year Deontay Johnson is a guy getting drafted in the fourth round of drafts, honestly. So Deontay Johnson is a guy I love in the eighth round. And now I'm going to go ahead and get to the next question. Scrolling down my list here because this there's a lot of notes in this uh, podcast. This guy says, oh, I love this question. It really makes me feel confident. Gun to your head. <laughs> Who finishes with more points in 2020? Robert Woods or Cooper Cup? So I tried to simulate the situation. You know, I took my uh, hand, made little finger guns, put it to my head, and just, like, gave myself a two-second countdown. And I ended up saying Robert Woods. Because here's the thing. I'm not going to put my... Because gun to your head, that, that means your life's at stake. I'm not staking my life on touchdowns. That's the most volatile thing, like we talked about earlier with Cooper Cup, in the league. And even though he's consistent at it, it's not generally something people are consistent on. So I'm not going to bank on the touchdowns. And I have Woods getting more targets. I have him getting more yards. I have him getting more receptions. He beats Cup in every single metric except for touchdown. And I also have him ranked two spots higher than Cooper Cup. So I had to go with Robert Woods. Robert Woods is my guy in that situation there. And then Triple Play Fantasy said, what late round wide receiver has a chance to be fantasy relevant? So that's basically what we're talking about all all podcast today. But I'll give you a few names. We're probably going to get to them later. So I'm not going to go over them in depth. But Nikhil Harry, Michael Pittman, and Preston Williams. We already talked a lot about Preston Williams. And all of those guys are at the 12-13 turn. All of them. So... That's why I like them. And actually, let me go up and check real quick which names I have because I think I purposely, now that I think about it, didn't talk about them or didn't put them in my favorite guy. Oh, no, I did. So yeah, I'll get to them in a bit. But those are my three guys that I really like. And then one more question before we head back over. Leon Topping says, projections. So he's asking me for my projections. Projections for Henry Ruggs and CeeDee Lamb in PPR redraft leagues. My home league with friends is too lazy for Dynasty. LOL. Um, Yeah, you definitely need to find some guys that will do some uh, Dynasty with you because it will change your life. But here are my projections for CeeDee Lamb and Jalen Rager. We'll start with CeeDee Lamb. Actually, I'm going to go back and forth because they're really close to each other. CeeDee Lamb targets 96. Jalen Rager targets 98. CeeDee Lamb receptions 61. Jalen Rager receptions 60. CeeDee Lamb yards, 835, Rager, 857, and both of them at six touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb is my wide receiver, 49. Jalen Rager is my wide receiver, 44. And as you can see, they're super close to each other because they are one reception and about 20 yards difference. That's about three fantasy points. That's how far the, that's how far they are. Wide receiver, 49 of uh, 44. So five spots within... Uh, three fantasy points. So as you can see, wide receiver gets blended together as you go down in the projections because there's so many of them. There's usually three starters on every team at the position opposed to running backs, which is usually one. And while on the topic of rookie wide receivers, Brian on Instagram asks who I think puts up the most production this year, who has the best stats overall cumulative of the rookie wide receivers. And I have to say Michael Pittman, if I go by my projections he is, and I say if I go by my, by my projections because I don't want to say Michael Pittman because I didn't think he was the best wide receiver, but he's just in such a great situation. Like, it's hard to argue. He is going to see a massive opportunity behind only T.Y. Hilton 
Maybe. Maybe he's not behind T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton has been struggling to stay healthy these past few years. What happens if T.Y. continues to struggle? Michael Pittman is going to be the number one guy there, and it's not even going to be close. He's like Mike Williams, the Mike Williams role for Phillip Rivers in L.A., except with less surrounding talent. So he'll have a bigger target share. And also, really close runner-ups for me were Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson. They were like two wide receivers behind Michael Pittman because I have them back-to-back. So those were um, you know, some thoughts on some rookie wide receivers this year because that seems to be a hot topic. So we left off on round, what was it? Round eight with Deontay Johnson. So round nine, my favorite wide receiver to draft there at the 901 ADP calculator is Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones is always producing more than his ADP, much like Tyler Boyd. Every single year, Marvin Jones does better than ADP. So yes, I know he's kind of like boom bust week to week, but there are so many boom boom bust, geez, I cannot talk today, boom bust guys that are going high in drafts. For example, Amari Cooper, uh, two, three turn. No, thanks. That's one guy that's boom bust week to week that you have going high. Um, I'm sure there's other guys. I'm not going to focus on that, but Marvin Jones is somebody in the ninth round. So don't use that as an excuse. Don't give me that as an excuse because there that's, you find that all throughout the draft at the position. So Marvin Jones is going to give you huge games that can win you weeks if you play him right. And honestly, it's not, it's kind of hard, but it's not in incredibly hard if you put in the work you can find the right weeks to play him because if you can figure out the defense that they're playing who are their corners how do their corners match up who's going to guard Galladay who's going to guard Jones if there's a really good corner on Galladay and their second corner is not too great that's the week that you play Marvin Jones so he's the guy I love in the ninth round then in the 10th round I really like Christian Kirk he's getting drafted at the 10-10 this was actually a round where I didn't see anybody glaring that I love but I like Christian Kirk the most out of the guys in this area and I might like him more because currently right now I believe Zach is working on an article about Christian Kirk because he personally is really high on Christian Kirk and he thinks that he's undervalued so I'm really looking forward to writing the article that he writes for the website and I hope you guys will check that out and I might end up adjusting Christian Kirk based on some of his findings. So Christian Kirk is a guy I really like, even before the fact that I knew he was writing this article and that he was really high on him. Even before that, he was a guy that I liked. So Christian Kirk is my guy in the 10th round. Then around 11, Jalen Rager, the 11-01. Like we were talking about yesterday, and like one of you guys commented in your question, Jalen Rager could very much be the wide receiver one. I haven't projected that way, especially with Alshon. And I had to adjust this today too, because you asked me for my Rager stat, so I had to adjust it. Um, so it's, you know, brand new, according to the fact that Alshon got put on the pup. Jalen Rager could easily out-target every single wide receiver. Deshaun Jackson has never been a guy that's a huge target monster. So Jalen Rager already has an edge over him in that department. Also, Deshaun Jackson has not played more than one game with Carson Wentz. So it's not like he has a chemistry edge over Jalen Rager either. And Jalen Rager is going to be utilizing like in more places on the field because you can throw him in the slot. You can throw him outside. You might give him some jet sweeps, stuff like that. I think he's just easier to use as, you know, a do-it-all pocket knife compared to Deshaun Jackson. And then Alshon's on the pup. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is going to step in for Alshon possibly and start on the outside, but he's not going to get more targets than Jalen Rager. Definitely not. The only guy I think gets more targets in this offense is Zach Ertz. So Jalen Rager is a guy I really love 
And I compared him to Tyler Lockett. So can we just pretend for one moment, just amuse me? Just pretend that Tyler Lockett got traded to the Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Rager wasn't there. So basically replace Jalen Rager with Tyler Lockett. How high are you drafting him with Carson Wentz and that high-flying offense? Probably higher than you're drafting him with the Seahawks, right? Because the Eagles pass the ball more than the Seahawks. That's for sure. That's like not even a question. That's guaranteed. And Tyler Lockett would be getting just as high of a target share in Philly because there's no like dominant receivers there. There's no DK Metcalf there. There's Zach Ertz, sure. But I mean, Seattle uses their tight ends too. And Ertz is not to the level of DK, you know? So that's why I love Jalen Rager because I compared him to Tyler Lockett. He's just a little bit tougher. And not that Tyler Lockett's not tough. I just mean in build, in build. I'm not taking shots at you, Tyler. Don't come after me. Um, So yeah, that's Jalen Rager. Then we have three rounds left. I'm going to go ahead and save those. I'm going to come back to some questions and the most recent question is Notorious DAV on Twitter said, following up on the um, Dolphins question, who is the number three for the Dolphins with Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson opting out? That's tough, man. That that really is tough. And so it's between the slot guys for me because Albert Wilson was going to be the starting slot and Alan Hearns is just you know a depth guy. Between the slot guys of Isaiah Ford and Gary Jennings. So I kind of just kept this one a little bit simple. Isaiah Ford, he was drafted in the seventh round in 2017 by the Miami Dolphins, and he's still there. And he's a seventh round pick. So to keep a seventh round pick around, you got to kind of have to like him a little bit because that's not much equity to invest in a guy. So we know that they kind of like him. Whereas on the other hand, Gary Jennings was drafted in the fourth round which is much, much more equity by Seattle last year. Last year he was drafted. So not 2020, not the year that just started, obviously. Otherwise, he would still be on Seattle. But in 2019, he was drafted by Seattle in the fourth round, and he's not on Seattle anymore. And they don't have, like, a superb wide receiver group. They have Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and then, I mean... I know, uh, who is it, Bobby on Fantasy Pros that is just, like, obsessed with David Moore, but he hasn't done anything, and none of the other guys have really ever shown anything to be confident in them, so if they spent a fourth rounder, why would they not give more than a year? That's barely any opportunities at all for a guy to show that he's good. They didn't even give him that much time, so that kind of makes me lose faith in Gary Jennings. I know teams miss out on guys all the time, but... I mean, Seattle's been good at finding late-round values. That's basically the way they draft because they like to take fourth-round graded draft picks in the first round. So, yes, I'm taking shots at you, Seattle. That's why it's good that you traded away your first-round picks for Jamal Adams because you always miss on them. Recently, recently, you guys had hit on a lot of first-round picks in the past. A lot. But, like, the last three have been pretty bad. Rashad Penny... LJ Collier and then the guy that you the linebacker that you drafted with a fourth round grade this year in the first round I don't know what y'all are doing with those first rounders so I'm glad y'all y'all got them out of there because low-key if I wasn't a Bucks fan there's two teams that I would root for and it would either be Arizona with Kyler and the comeback because they were so bad and I really liked Kyler and everyone was hating on him so it made me like him even more and then and not in terms of the fantasy community I know people liked him in the fantasy community I just mean as a quarterback and then, uh, obviously, Russell Wilson and Seattle. I love them. Russell Wilson is my favorite player in the league, not including Bucks players. So, you know, I want to root for you guys. That's why I'm glad you got Jamal Adams. But 
that's besides the point. I'm getting off track here. Sorry, sometimes I turn this fantasy football podcast into a just general football podcast. It's a tendency I have. Um, but yeah, so Isaiah Ford, he's been there. He's familiar with the staff. He was good in limited use last year, if you look at his efficiency. So that's who I'm taking the shot on. Because Gary Jennings was a fourth-round pick that got cut by Seattle. Obviously, they don't think he's good. And, you know, he was probably just added to be depth in Miami. And I don't think, despite, you know, being, like, really athletic and whatnot, I don't think that that just means he's going to start over Isaiah Ford. So Isaiah Ford is the guy that I'm taking a shot on. And actually, hopefully none of my league mates are listening to this podcast. But I just put in a bid on Isaiah Ford in um, one of my one of my dynasty leagues because he's on the waiver and I have an open spot because I made a two for one trade. So there you go. And I'm going to finish with, or not finish, but I'm going to get to this question and then I'm going to go back over and finish the uh, favorite guys to draft by round. So Drew, actually one of my writers or one of, you know, deep dives writers, he said, I love to hear your takes on the Giants wide receiver situation. How do you see the target shaking out? Man, that is a question that I hate. I, I love the question because it's tough and it's important to answer, especially for fantasy football. But I don't like it because there's so little data to go on. Here's the thing. First, I want to talk about each player in that receiving game. I know you said wide receiver situation, but obviously the wide receivers are impacted by the other positions. So let's talk about all the guys there. Darius Layton is probably the only guy there that produces without a lot of targets. Okay, he's a guy that you can deploy and be a big play threat. You know, he's a guy that's not going to take a huge target share to be able to impact your team. So I have Darius Slay at 92 targets. I know a lot of people are a lot higher on Darius Slay. I remember when I posted my projections for the Giants, a bunch of people were coming after me about not being high on Darius Slayton. I'm pretty sure I said Slay the last five minutes. Obviously, I mean Slayton. Um, And yeah, so I have him at 92 targets. Then we have Sterling Shepard. What kind of receiver is Sterling Shepard? We're, that's going to be the question that we ask for the next four guys. What kind of receiver are they? Sterling Shepard is a high-volume, high-target guy. That's how he produces. That's the type of receiver he is. What about Golden Tate? Well, geez, you think Sterling Shepard is a high-target, volume guy? Golden Tate is like the man at that. That's all he's done in his career. So already right there at the wide receiver position, you have Shepard and Tate that are both high-volume, high-target guys. I know it's the same thing, but I'm saying both in case you don't know exactly what I mean. Then tight end, Evan Ingram. What kind of tight end is he? He's a high-volume, high-target type of tight end. He's not one of those tight ends like a George Kittle or OJ Howard or Travis Kelsey that goes 16, 17 yards down the field off every catch and you know, pushes people down and bullies them and gets yards after contact. He's not that guy. He's more of a wide receiver, if anything. And he does better with a lot of targets. So already you have three high target guys that are competing for, you know, 570-ish attempts, which is what I have the Giants at, 577. Then Saquon Barkley. What kind of running back is Saquon Barkley? He's a receiving running back. Not only a receiving running back, um, you know, obviously, but he's a running back that is a very good receiver and gets used in the receiving game. So what are we doing here? Like, we have so many target hogs. Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley. Four target hogs, and then a big play guy in Darius Slayton. So I told you I have 92 targets for Slayton. Shepard I have for 112. Golden Tate I have for 106. Evan Ingram I have for 103. Saquon Barkley I have for 77. Last year... 
we never, not in one game, saw all of these guys on the field together. We have no idea who Daniel Jones likes the most. No idea. So what I did notice is that it seems like Sterling Shepard gets the most targets whenever he's paired with somebody else or paired with two other guys. So that's why I have him as the target leader at 112. But I do not feel confident in any of these guys to say that one of them is going to be, you know, the number one, the clear number one and get 120 plus targets. I don't see it happening because there's so much competition and they're all pretty equal in terms of talent level. Golden Tate at this stage in his career is pretty similar to Sterling Shepard, who's pretty similar to Evan Ingram. And then Saquon Barkley and Darius Slayton are different types of guys. But, you know, obviously, aside from Barkley, there's no elite talents there. So, and I like Darius Slayton a lot. I know I like him as a, a prototypical one who could develop and be really good. But that's the thing with the Giants receivers. I don't really like any of them. And so, yeah, I have the target shaking out pretty evenly. I'm not drafting any of them. I will say, though, Darius Slayton I have for seven touchdowns. And the next highest ride receiver is Golden Tate with five for me. So if I had to take a shot, I'm taking the shot on Darius Slayton. Even though I have him for the less, the least amount of targets, I have him for the most yardage of the wide receivers and the most touchdowns because he's more of a big play guy. And that's the guy that hopefully... Either Shepard or Tate, one of them will fade, make the other one fade out in the offense or they'll just compete with each other and not affect everyone else. And hopefully Slayton can get more than 92 targets, but it's hard for me to see. So with that being said, we're going to hit the last three rounds. We're talking rounds 12, 13, and 14. Favorite guy, round 12, Nikhil Harry. 12, 10, so almost into the 13th. We don't know exactly who's going to start necessarily, but obviously we all think it's going to be Cam Newton. We just don't have confirmation on that yet. Hopefully it's Cam Newton. I think that'll be better for Nikhil Harry. Although, even if it was Stidham, I would still like Harry, especially at the price point of the 12th round. He was my wide receiver one in the draft class last year. He was my favorite wide receiver, obviously, but it wasn't really that close for me. I liked him because of, you know, so many things that I think are intangibles, like being able to box out a wide receiver, win contested catches, like stuff that, yeah, some guys can learn, but usually it's something that you either have it or you don't have it. And he's one of those aggressive guys that I think has it. And big wide receivers have shown to be good with Cam Newton. Devin Funches had one decent year with Cam Newton. Kelvin Benjamin's rookie year was really good with Cam Newton. So he does produce somewhat with those big wide receivers. And just because Harry's a first round pick, last year he was dealing with injury and he wasn't able to you know, fully catch the scheme and everything as a rookie in that tough-to-learn offense with Bill Belichick. So there's a lot of things that are different for Harry this year. I like him a lot. I think he's a good late-round flyer. And in the 12th round, when you're getting the second wide receiver, the number two wide receiver on any team in the 12th round, that's pretty good. So that's why I like Nikhil Harry. Then round 13, there's two guys back-to-back, both also, like I just said, wide receiver twos on their team, and that's Michael Pittman, Preston Williams. Michael Pittman, we've talked about. Preston Williams, we've talked about. So that's, you know, that's what that is. What it is. You guys know how I feel about those guys. And then in round fourteen, at fourteen oh five, Hunter Renfro. He is my favorite guy in that um, area. I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little bit concerned about all the new targets, but I was on the Dynasty Rewind podcast. You guys should check it out if you haven't seen that. I guest starred on there for them. And they're great guys. They're funny. They're awesome. They're cool to talk to. They're chill. And when I was out there, my boy Nate made a convincing argument about Hunter Renfro. And, 
you know, he was really good. He was efficient. He was part of the reason, not that I expect this to continue, but he was part of the reason that Darren Waller was slightly worse in fantasy towards the end of the season when he was really breaking out. And, you know, he's just a guy that's consistent that you can count on in that offense. And John Gruden loves him. You know, he raves about him. And with all of everything that's going on with COVID and whatnot, yeah, Brian Edwards was there, is there now. Henry Ruggs is there now. Lynn Bowden is there now. But all those guys are going to have to figure things out in a tough offseason. And I'm sure, especially because there's no preseason games, that offense is going to be starting out with pretty much the same loadout that they had last year, except that they're going to have Henry Ruggs in. So I think that they're going to just you know basically go the same way. And I don't think Henry Ruggs is going to hurt Renfro that much because Renfro runs the slot. Henry Ruggs can kind of run anywhere. And so I think that you know they'll be able to use them both on the field at the same time. And so with that said, that finishes my favorite wide receiver in every round, which we will go over at the end. But I have one last question, and it's another question that I really like. Jay asks me from Twitter, in a deep league, who are you going with, Mooney, KJ Hill, or Hightower? For me, the answer is KJ Hill. He was somebody that I was super high on before the NFL draft. I understood that he was going to be a late pick. I understood he would struggle to get a starting role, but he landed in one of the better places, in my opinion, that he could have landed. There was no established slot for the Chargers, and he could honestly be starting in the slot for them on day one. He's fighting another rookie, Joe Reed, which I know a lot of people like, but I kind of like KJ Hill a little bit better. So because of this, I want to basically just read you my um, scouting report on KJ Hill when we were coming into the draft when I was just doing my wide receiver rankings before they were fantasy relevant, before they were on teams. And I was just talking about them as a talent, as a wide receiver. So KJ Hill's strengths. KJ Hill is an underneath slot receiver with great footwork. He has some good route running skills to pair with great toughness over the middle of the field. He has strong hands and decent elusiveness to make a couple guys miss and grab a few extra yards. He has quite a few one-handed catches that are pretty impressive, including one at the Senior Bowl. He also does well to find the soft spots in zone. Those things are things that will keep you a starting job. Then my concerns. For his size, he's not that fast or quick, which is a bit concerning. But he also struggles, or not but, but he also struggles with physical corners and is not a great contested catch receiver. He has a smaller frame and a smaller catch radius, so missing speed will make it more difficult for him to truly be open. They can't just like loft it up to him. But here's the thing. Considering KJ Hill is not a very athletic, yet smart and scrappy player, and plays in the slot, who does he remind me of? Julian Edelman. With some development, he has potential to be that reliable checkdown option for a quarterback, which is not a bad thing. He could land anywhere that needs a slot and probably does not start from the get-go. Remember, I'm reading this from my uh, scouting report. I think that has changed. But he probably does not start from the get-go, but could find his way on the field often by the end of his rookie season. I'm taking a shot on that guy, as I think he has the clearest, compared to, you know, Mooney and Hightower, as I think he has the clearest path to a starting role. He also has the ability to be reliable and consistent. Those guys... Let me tell you, those guys often in football do not lose their job. So if he starts or if he gets the opportunity to start and he shows that he can be reliable and consistent, even if he's not like a super explosive guy, he's going to keep that job. And I think he can become like a mainstay slot receiver for them. You know, kind of like Humphreys has 
kept a starting role in the league since he was with the Bucks, and then went to the Titans and he's a starting receiver there kind of like Julian Edelman has none of those guys are like super athletic none of those guys are you know freaks in that department they just do things the right way they work hard they're smart they find the soft spots and zones they know how to set up a defender with their feet which he has really quick feet like I was talking about earlier so KJ Hill I really like him I was higher on him than most before the draft, and he landed in a pretty good spot. Whether we're talking Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert, I think either of them would make him, you know, good enough to be, you know, somebody should be on your roster in a deep league. And I'm assuming it's because of the guys you're talking about. I'm assuming it's Dynasty because those sound like guys that would be on the waiver wire in a Dynasty league. So that's probably who you're talking, what you're talking about, especially in a Dynasty league. I would like to take him. And why not Hightower? Why not Mooney? Just one word, you know, one-liners for you. Basically, Hightower, he has so many names to compete with in Philly. So many names. And Mooney in Chicago, he also has some names to compete with, and he's in Chicago. Yikes. Um, We don't really know if Foles is going to be the starter, one, especially because of no preseason. And if, definitely, if Trubisky's a starter, oh my goodness, he's not going to be able to do anything. Mooney. And if Foles is, I mean, he might get used as a rotational guy, but I don't think he's going to get a starting role or anything. Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller are the clear guys there. And, you know, they're just not an offense that's going to throw the ball enough to be able to support someone. And I know that they're probably going to throw the ball similar to the Chargers, but I feel way more confident that KJ Hill can win the starting job and stay in the starting job. And I think he's probably a bit better of a player than Mooney. So that's why I went with KJ Hill. And with that said, I'm just going to give you guys a recap. My favorite wide receiver to draft in every round, round one, Michael Thomas. Round two, Julio Jones. Three, Juju Smith-Schuster. Four, DJ Moore. Five, Tyler Lockett. Six, Stephon Diggs. Seven, the Boyd man, Tyler Boyd. Ooh, that would be a good, uh, that'd be a good fantasy team name, like the Birdman, you know, like Larry, uh, Larry Bird, except Boyd, the Boyd man. I don't know. Maybe that's lame. Forget I said that. That's embarrassing. Um... And then round eight, Deontay Johnson. Round nine, Marvin Jones. Round 10, Christian Kirk. Round 11, Jalen Rager. Round 12, Nikhil Harry. 13, Michael Pittman. And Preston Williams, I couldn't decide. Oh, and also uh, McLaurin in round five with Lockett. I couldn't decide there either. And then round 14, Hunter Renfro. So that's my favorite guy to draft in every round. And those were a bunch of really good questions that you guys sent me. I definitely need to do this more often. It caused this podcast to no longer be on my half-hour streak. But honestly, I like the hour podcasts more. And if you guys don't, you can tell me all about it in the review that you're going to leave me with five-star ratings because you love me and you listen to this point in the podcast. And for some reason, if you haven't written a review or rating, you are now thinking of doing so. So thanks, guys. Thank you for everything you have, you know, done supporting me listening to the podcast. Hope you guys have a good one. Hope I can continue to supply you with good information, help you in your fantasy leagues. Have a good one. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor. Peace.